are you ready to dive into a world of captivating conversations and insightful perspectives with Leap Listens? I'm Sarah and I'm joined by my co-host Roger. Hello. And together we'll be your guides through our third podcast series. Leap Listens is proudly presented by Leap Create, a dynamic people communications agency that partners with organisations to communicate their unique culture and values. Check us out at leapcreate.co.uk. So join us as we explore the latest trends, share success stories and uncover the secrets of effective communications in the workplace in just 15 minutes or maybe a little bit more. Today we're joined by Kim Parker Adcock and Nathan Adcock from One Player Mission. Kim founded OPM in 1998 to bridge the gap between gaming companies that are looking for staff and talented games workers looking for their next job opportunity. Nathan is the marketing manager and Kim's son and today we'll be talking about the business of recruitment. What's changed, what's current and what does the future hold? Welcome to the podcast Kim and Nathan. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Nice to be here. Thank you very much. So Kim, if you start with you, just tell us about your journey at OPM. Okay, well, it started in 1992 when I joined a recruitment company that ended up going into games because the owner had um, previously worked in games and in recruitment. And I was there on and off for seven years between having children. And I went back. I then went into distribution in video games for a couple of years as a senior product manager. I then went back to um, to that recruitment company for a short period where they basically let me help them build their business back up and then fired me. So uh, one pay mission started because I was sacked. So luckily, I have a very supportive family. I ended up homeless. I was divorced without settlement at the same time, which they knew. So at that point, I was homeless. I was jobless. My boys were four, nine and 11. And I had a dog and house plants and goldfish and nowhere to go. So fortunately, my parents took us in for a couple of months. My father guaranteed a mortgage. I ended up working a few weeks as a PA for a friend of mine because what, what happened when I, I told only six people in the industry that they wouldn't hear from me anymore and they were key contacts and people started to say, you've got to start on your own. Never entered my head before. Clearly not the most brilliant time in my life for that to happen. And by the end of three weeks, I had five offers of finance from in the industry. My, my friend who was sales manager at uh, Warner Games at that time had suggested her father use his pension. So at the point when I was really low, the industry told me that actually I was okay and actually I was probably pretty good and a couple of people had thought I was a partner in the other business. So that was it. Off I went on a mission to a one player mission. See what I did there. Not at that point. Um and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at one point I was going to use an investor, wasted eight weeks negotiating a contract, but during which time I learnt a lot. And in the end, he called himself my boss a couple of times. And I thought, if this is my business, you can't be my boss. So I had to tell him that it wasn't going to work out. He very kindly gifted me the company which he had paid to incorporate. And OPM Response Limited was born on the 18th of March. Ironically, the same day with my decree absolute. Sorry, Nathan. <laughs> wow. It's uh, okay, I'm over it. <laughs> I didn't, yeah, I didn't know. Um, I must admit, not, not that I'd ever asked, but I didn't know the full story behind that. So that's quite a, that's like quite, in, quite an inspirational, inspirational story that Kim to know yeah. your, the, the origin story of, of Kim is quite. Yeah, it was fun times. You, you don't know how tough you are until you have to be. And it tends to only be when you look back that you say, good Lord, was that me? Did I do that? And, uh, yeah, here we still are. So, and then eventually the boys, you know, joined, 
both of them supposed to be temporarily and 12 how many years now nay 13 years for you now 12 years for you? something yeah 13 or 14 yeah this time yeah i remember nathan i think was coming to work on a bmx when i first met you so uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about right in that time um obviously you, you must have seen some significant changes in recruitment since you've been running the business what what you know talk us through some of the big changes that you've you've noticed well for, for me process is the biggest thing that's changed you know headhunters were frowned upon back then and now we're all headhunters that's all you can do you still get some applications but back then i had one folder full of paper files of clients and jobs i had another folder of candidates and i had a call box with calling cards in for all my client calls and everything was done manually and everything arrived in the post or by fax if they were really posh. And we'd, we'd meet people face to face still. CVs would go out in the morning and you'd chase them up in the afternoon and people used to answer the phone. So it was all phone work back then. There was no other way to communicate and it was super simple. These days, the, the, the team have, oh God, uh, somewhere in the region of about 20 portals they have to use. Everyone wants a different process. They have to use LinkedIn. They have to use forums. They have to use our database still, which is still, you know, we, we had our first one made in 1992. All, sorry, all duplication of effort should be automated is my mantra. And now I, I can't tell you how many different bits of tech we've had to invest in and therefore how many different bits they have to learn and they have to be able to approach people cold. So it is an incredibly challenging job now. And I honestly don't know if I could do it now. Thankfully, I have people for that. You don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, um, Nathan? So obviously you, you've been there, do you say 12 years now? Um, I think it's 13 or 14. It was, yeah, I think yeah. it was more than that. Yeah. That's this time, I guess. The first time I kind of came in as an admin, but the second time came in as a recruitment consultant. I couldn't do it in the first place, just to, to be clear. <laughs> that was not for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I came in as marketing in 2011. I know mm -hmm. that. I've done the marketing since 2011, but I had worked at OPM a couple of times since mm -hmm. then. The biggest changes for me are, are to do with candidate attraction. It kind of feeds into a little bit what Kim forward slash mum said. When, when I first started doing marketing, there were kind of two types of candidate attraction that we could rely on. And one was print advertising. We'd just literally just stick jobs in, in a magazine or just say, hey, you know, apply for a job with us. And we get loads of applications. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I just literally can't remember the last time a print advert had someone apply for a job from it. That's, you know, it's good for brand awareness, in my opinion, but actually to get applications, it's, that's not where people are going to, to look for jobs. And, and the other thing was job boards, which when I joined, it was before print advertising was the biggest source, I kind of tracked it all. Then job boards became the biggest source by a long way. You know, it was it was actually quite easy, I hate to say it, to find candidates back then because all you had to do was put your jobs in the job board and they'd all come to you, you know, in their droves. But now neither workers anywhere near as well as they used to. Job boards, there's still a place for them. In the niche market that is games, there's only one, maybe two that work, but still it's nowhere near the levels of applications that we used to get. So now it's all about getting people to the website using social media and also the the consultants have you know a lot more to do as kim said with actually going to five find candidates themselves and as a marketer it's about kind of supporting them and their brand and making sure when they message someone on linkedin 
if they go and look at our company or our company page, they're much more likely to come back to you. That's like such a big part of the job now, whereas that was kind of non-existent when I started that, that kind of thing. It was the brand of the company. Now it's the brand of the people, if that makes sense. Our structure's completely changed. You didn't need a marketing person back in the day. You just didn't. You paid for print. We print to print designed our first logo and did our first business card. Cost me all of 50 quid. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It did, it did look like it. Yeah, <laughs> things improved once we met you guys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> properly which was very helpful the structure's completely changed so you know we now have an internal bookkeeper that's i think we're still only part-time actually but yeah we have but the, the foundation team is a lot bigger and we also have a team of resources to to do exactly what nathan's just described keep our data data up to date keep in touch with people and um and get onto linkedin and go find them all over the world so I think we've placed in 38 countries now as well. And I remember our first database had counties in it for the UK. <laughs> so uh, we've had input locations into the database now. It's uh, too random. Mm. Okay. So, Kim, going to you first, what current trends are you noticing with candidates and employees? Well, we saw the year of the Great Resignation last year and definitely part of the year before. And there was no price that people wouldn't go to to secure talent. The, the world was at home playing games and everybody wanted investment. I think we ended up with 7.6 billion available in investment compared to about, you know, 780 million the year before. So I don't quote me on those figures, they could be wrong, but I know it was that much of a difference. So there was a huge amount of money floating about. Everybody was starting new games. Everybody was fighting for talent. We were trying to fill the ocean from a pond, the skills, because obviously it happens in a growing industry. So everybody went in on what I said at the time were unsustainable salaries. And now we're seeing the enormous, enormous redundancies in tech. You know, Meta announced a £3.99 billion loss for their last quarter. So there's been, I mean, even for him, that must sting. <laughs> Which is good because we lost two people to Meta who had headhunted on salaries that made my eyes water. I had to pat them both on the back and just say, bloody well done. But one of them's come back. So because they all got made redundant, their whole recruitment team's gone. So it has left us, you know, we're sort of at the top of the roller coaster and now we've dropped down. So vacancies are lower, but equally people on very high salaries and are in a slightly more precarious position because the investment isn't there as much. I was hearing at Gamescom last August that investors were already, because I think of the crypto crash, people who are in games tend to be in crypto as well. And so they were either asking for the money back or not giving you the next round. And if you couldn't find the staff, you couldn't complete your milestones and you wouldn't get your next round of investment. So we have seen some very surprising companies not coping with games that we thought were amazing and and also a lot of acquisition. So that's the other thing that's happened. So there's more spider and fly happening, clearly not with Microsoft and Activision, but uh, that's for another day. But yeah, there, there is there was a danger in the industry that we were going to end up with just a few giant publishers who owned everything. But now, you know, there, there are some smaller ones, a lot more smaller ones out there. But the, the, that's the biggest change I've seen in the last couple of years is it was all gung-ho and now everyone's just kind of taking a breath. Okay. And then Nathan, the same question to you. So just to repeat that, what current trends are you noticing with candidates and employers? Yeah, to reiterate what Kim said, there, there was a boom and it's, it's, it's back down and I, I think it's kind of the same across tech and a lot of industries where it's it's back down to pre-COVID levels, basically. That seems to be what's happened. The biggest takeaway in recruitment was definitely remote working and just how quickly everyone had to adapt and successfully adapted to remote working. And there's 
kind of an interesting thing happening now where companies don't want remote as much as they used to. Some companies do, some do, but candidates kind of do want remote working because we've all lived that now. So yeah, the demand for remote jobs among job seekers exceeds the number of remote job opportunities available in the market. Definitely. That is definitely what's what's happening right now. What what have you guys settled on there at at one player mission? What's your policy now? We're fully remote, actually. Yeah. Fully remote. So we meet up four times a year for around two or three days. And yeah, we're fully fully remote, which yeah, surprises me still that <laughs> we've done that. But yeah. But we, we didn't really have any choice. We had a huge office. Nobody was in it for two years. It was costing a fortune. So we let that go and we took a smaller space and nobody used that either. So then they put the rent up by 40%. Didn't even hang around to see what they were going to do with the service charge. So we let that go too. I have to say, I hate it. I get lonely. And Mm. I think that's definitely something from a mental health perspective that's very difficult for people, particularly people, people. Recruiters are are people, people. And for them to sit isolated every day is not, who they naturally would be. Yeah, I've just, I've been in three different rooms, four different rooms I've used for my home office. Mm. And I moved again this morning. <laughs> so just so I could get a better view, view of the garden now, the weather's better. But um, it is difficult. I, you know, you just don't feel settled. And I love our days away. It completely changes how everybody communicates together. It's absolutely lovely. So uh, yeah, the quarterly canters, as we call them, will we'll continue. But I think that is that is a big issue. There's definitely pros to remote working, but there's also been cons as far as productivity goes. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think it's for, for us as well. It's it, it depends, doesn't it, on the individual? Because not everyone is is actually set up to work at home, and and as you say, some people are people people. And I think if you want to build any mm. kind of culture, um, particularly if you're in a creative industry, then you you know there is benefits from kind of being around people. So we yeah yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Charlie and I, we're planning our our three days with the team now mm. and it's like two months away because we know we need to, creatively, you work way better as a team, way better and having those people there. It's, yeah, it's hard to get buy-in as well sometimes on creative projects with people that are already doing another job when you're in the office, kind of people are kind of attracted to other jobs. They kind of get distracted. So they're like, yeah, I want to help. I want to do this and that. It's hard to get buy-in from home because it's like, no, I've got a job to do, <laughs> which is a really interesting byproduct for all. I think there's, there's one or two who are definitely more productive at home. Certainly on the management team, I think they enjoyed their team members having to learn how to do it themselves. So rather teach them to fish than give them the fish because we're sitting next to them. So that was quite a positive change. But that, that was positive, you know, because people did have to be more independent. However, when new people are starting now, they don't hear the tips and tricks that the experienced people are using on the phone and how they communicate. And, you know, it's a very, very unique industry you can't communicate with people in this industry the same way you would anywhere else you know that it's it's very unique so it's difficult for them to learn that and to kind of get the culture of the business so yeah that you know we used to shout out all the time in the office if you heard something about a certain business or you know a certain hr person had told you something really interesting about what was going on out there we'd just shout out in the office you can't do that anymore and we kind of used you know our, our team chat but it's not the same and people worry about bothering other people during the day. I totally agree. It's like what I call like learning by osmosis, which I think, and, and also, especially if you're, you Kim, you're a leader, then sometimes you hear things, don't you, 
from on a cocktail yeah. effect from the other side of the office and you think hang on a minute before you do that or I know something yes. about that. I'll just come sit next to you now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> help you through this because it sounds like hell yes great okay so another question in your industry what are the most sought after skills currently all of them <laughs> all of them programmers are always always have been and always will be the kind of most sought after skill there's I guess a, a constant shortage of programmers because there's so many needed to make a game. I guess the upcoming, I guess Unity, actually thinking about it, Unity is like an engine for making video games and it's cross-platform and so many studios, small and big, use it. So that's always sought after. I don't know if you've seen clips of what developers are making with Unreal Engine 5, but it's very lifelike um, footage is too lifelike. Some would definitely argue on the kind of shooter side of things, but that's that's an engine people are working on now. We're going to start seeing games have dramatically better graphics come out soon on this on this new this new en engine, Unreal Engine Five. So that one's sought after, but it's one of those where not you know because it's new, not many people actually <laughs> have used it. So most people are kind of looking for a job where they can use it rather than yeah, rather than. We'll probably still be after for people with two years' experience. Yeah, in yeah, we'll have so, to, yeah. It's only been out for a year and the last for two years' experience. I think technical art, definitely, when I look at the interviews, if you get a really good technical artist, particularly one who can relocate, we can send them out to about 15 companies and they will get snapped up. And design is a tricky one because games are so broad now and they have to have worked on exactly the niche that the client is going to be working on. So they tend to have to go to a lot of interviews before the right thing clicks and they know they've got the style and the background and the methods. So I know design is definitely tricky. So lots of vacancies, but uh, everyone has to be in that exact pigeonhole. And that's been a big change, I think, over the years where, you know, an artist used to do everything from start to finish to animation. And now they'll do like one sixteenth of that, you know, and that's a job on its own. And it's certainly the same with the other departments. On the commercial side, um, marketing, commercial product managers, community managers, absolutely huge. And uh, yeah, that, that side of things, because so much is, is online now. We I can't remember the last time we had an actual, I think we might have had a business development manager role a few weeks ago, but you don't tend to hear about sales jobs. It's all about marketing and influencer management, um, a lot of roles for that. So, yeah, that side of things is completely different to somebody going out to uh, to all the supermarkets and trying to sell boxes. They still do, but uh, it tends to be done direct from distribution and, and from the publishers themselves. Yeah, that's that's absolutely fascinating. I mean, that must have been a big change, the influencer side of things. It, we do quite a lot of work in the tech space, so we are kind of aware of some of those skills and mm. people are always after those agile skills and DevOps and and programmers, as you said. But do people in games tend to stay in games, or do people come from other industries into it? Oh, we'd love them to be able to come from other industries. <laughs> Our industry was once people. I mean, obviously, we're an agency; they have to pay us a fee, so they're going to. We only get the unicorn jobs. The unicorns are double spotted unicorns, the triple horned unicorns. So that's what they want us to go and find. So for people trying to get in, they've got to really, really illustrate their transferable skills and just not apply for stuff they just can't do. You know, that don't burn any bridges is what I'd say. So and there are more people now going and either getting trained or making sure they get some sort of experience doing what they actually want to do. And they can't assume we used to get TV producers wanting to be games producers. And the process is, is chalk and cheese. 
it couldn't be more different. And it was very difficult to explain to people with like 20 years experience that they couldn't make a game. You know, it wasn't just management skills. You had to have a background in the tech side or the art side and, and understand how it all works. So that's kind of changing. Project management now, I think, is is more, you know, it's a transferable skill. But, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of good degrees out there now as well, but still more more students and there will ever be jobs. Right. That's interesting. Mm. Well, look, Kim, it's been fascinating and lovely to see you and Nathan again. And one of the things that we always do is ask our guests what books or audio books they're currently listening to and anything they could recommend for our other listeners. I'm actually reading Stephen Hawking's book. Um, and I can't remember what it's called because it's still in my suitcase. I did say it didn't have to be highbrow. <laughs> and you go straight I did. in there I went with straight Stephen in there with Stephen Hawking. I don't understand most of it. <laughs> Still not quite sure about the whole black hole thing, but it was fascinating just to see the process that he's taken. And, you know, obviously, if, if you know a lot about physics, then it would probably help reading that book. But it, I still found it turned parts of my brain on that wouldn't be used otherwise. So but I, I love a bit of Audible. She says quickly looking at her app so she can remember what the happiness book that I'm listening to at the moment is. You're talking to two big Audible fans here. So. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, I've got to go and look back and see what I was well, look, watching. While you do that, over to you, Nathan. Yeah. I like uh, historical fiction. So I'm reading at the moment The Last Kingdom by Bernard Cornwell. I think it's been made into a it's been made into a Netflix series. So the good thing about historical fiction is once you've read it, there's usually a series out there you can go and watch afterwards. Kind of. okay. I'll just watch the film then. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's what I'm reading at the moment. Yeah, I can't find it because I actually dipped into Spare. Oh. Yeah. Do you know what? I had a really weird dream last night. That I went to Kate and Will's wedding and it was quite a small affair in a, in like a local village church. And, and I was at, at the back and afterwards I went up and congratulated him, said, you know, well done. And he said, oh, thank you very much, Roger. And I said, no, my name. And he just said, I, I know. I know. Perhaps, he, perhaps he listened to that. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? What does it mean? I'm really disappointed you didn't get an invitation for Saturday. And then the worst thing was... That could mean anything. Afterwards, I went I went to the pub and there was like a long trestle table and I was like, have I got some stories for you? And they all, um, they just disappeared from my head. And like everyone just started wandering off. And it was like... Like real life. Like real life. And the worst thing is this morning, right? I woke up and I was telling um, Stacey, I said, oh, I had this dream. And what happened was everyone um, started, I started to tell an anecdote. Everyone wondered, honestly, I swear not. It was like... She just went back to sleep. Yeah. It's a yeah. Oh, <laughs> History uh, repeating it itself. It is, yeah. Hilarious. Anyway, thank you so much, Nathan and Kim. It's been yeah, um, that, that really nice speaking something. to you. I love your honesty, Kim. <laughs> yeah, apparently I overshare. <laughs> Who knew? But, you know, in recruitment, that's actually a bit right. of a benefit. They, they know they're always going to get the truth because yeah. I can't keep it in. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I am a marketer's nightmare. Thanks very much, Lovely. Sarah. Right, bye, you. Roger. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more expert insights, check out our other bite-sized episodes, perfect for micro-learners and those with a short attention span, just like me. And if you're in employer branding and recruitment marketing, you might be interested in our monthly EB meetups. Just search 
EV Meetup on LinkedIn and join our community. For anything else, contact us via leapcreate.co.uk. See you next time.